Hi, and welcome to Holy Podcast. I'm Charity, your host. Today we are going to be talking about Moses. We're picking back up on the second part of his life. Last episode, we covered his birth to him being called back into um, Egypt to help set his people free. So this will be covered from about Exodus 5 to about 12. And we are, as we left off last time, God um, called Moses to go back. He did permit him to have a helper, Aaron, to help be his mouthpiece because he's pretty insecure about it. And when he did, when God did meet with him and tell him to go, um, to go and get his people free, he did say, when you go and meet with Pharaoh, you're going to ask him to let the people go and he's going to say no. He said, so I just want you to know, I'm going to bring my fist down on Egypt and then I'll rescue my people with acts of judgment. And at this time, Moses and Aaron are 80 and 83 each. So they go before Pharaoh and there's this, the whole thing, like we talked about with the staff where like the Pharaoh's like kind of unimpressed. And so like Aaron throws down the staff and then like his magicians, he's like, yeah, mine can do the same thing. But Aaron's staff eats the other staffs. And then like, there's the whole, you know, cloaky pokey thing where he sticks his hand in and there's leprosy and then there's not. Um, but Pharaoh is just totally hard hearted, just unimpressed by all of it. And so when he goes and they request that Pharaoh let them go, he gets mad, goes on this tirade about how all the Israelites are a bunch of lazy jerks. And so just to show them, they need to keep making the same amount of bricks for his construction project, his monument to himself. Um, <laughs> they need to go ahead and make all of the straw with, or make all of the bricks without any extra straw. Now, side note really quick, there is a huge cultural rub between the Israelites and the Egyptians in that. The Egyptian culture believes in many gods, and the Pharaoh views himself as one. So it's pretty insulting to be told that these people who run much of his economy that he doesn't care about because they all come from a bunch of stinky sheep herders, and they serve one god, which is pretty peculiar to him, um, the god that created all things, the heaven and heavens and the earth and everything that exists. Um, Pharaoh has a hard time sharing the light with that. It's hard to compete with the almighty God, <laughs> to be real honest. So as he gets mad and does this tirade about them being lazy and telling them no more straw for their brick for their bricks they got to do it themselves which is kind of the equivalent of like if you work for a trucking company and all of a sudden they say you still ought to make the same deliveries but now we're not paying for your gas that's not a business business expense anymore that would make it like gosh darn impossible to get things where they got to be so that's the same thing so the order goes out and all the foremen get the order and they miss their first quota and they get called in before Pharaoh. And Moses and Aaron are waiting outside. And basically they're beaten and chewed out. And basically the Pharaoh's like, you're lazy. 
you guys talk about you wanting to lead to go worship your God. You're just being lazy. You better not miss anything. And I think this is a good point where, you know, God doesn't ever do anything singularly. Um, this is my opinion. But in my opinion, I see that God is showing the world who he is and who like his power and his might. Because we see later in Samuel, which if you've kind of gone through some of the stories that I've done before in Samuel, when the Ark of the Covenant gets taken by the Philistines, they fight super hard and panic fight because God's reputation precedes his people. And they refer to the Egyptians and the things that happened to them. Um, but also, he's dealing with, with the Pharaoh and his pride and rendering some justice because there are all these people that the Pharaoh and the leadership there have killed um, out of selfishness. Um, and then also, though, he's showing his people who he is and that they can count on him. And so this is a little bit of a moment for the Israelites to say, okay, are we going to count on, on man, on bosses, on people, or on God? And so this is a real challenge in their face. And these foremen come out of the meeting and they see Aaron and Moses. And you can tell their heart. They've already, they already in their heart at this moment don't believe that Moses is there from God. They've already lost heart in this. And they said, may the Lord bless you and punish you for making a stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You have put a sword into their hands and the excuse to kill us. So like, they're pretty scared. And I don't blame them. I understand. I think a lot of people get into that situation. Um, but it kind of shows you already. And Moses is kind of put on his heels like, oh, man. And he goes before God and he says, God, like Pharaoh's already a brutal dude. And now he's being worse. And what am I supposed to do? Like my people are, you know, they're getting squashed by him. And God is like such a master strategist, you know. He's already setting up the field before Moses even gets there. But he reaffirms to him, he's like, I am Yahweh, the Lord, the beginning. It's stability, which is so beautiful in a landscape where everything is constantly changing. And then he reaffirms to him his identity as Al Shaddai. He says, I appeared before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as Al Shaddai, God Almighty. And he goes, I reaffirm my covenant with them and they will own the land of Canaan. And I'm basically, I'm going to rescue them and bring them out. This is my promise to them. So God tells him, get back in there to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And of course, Moses, and I understand being insecure, he's like, but God, I'm so bad at this. Even my people won't listen to me. And God tells Moses and Aaron, get back in there, campers. So they go in. And, and as, before they go in, he, you know, God tells Moses, you know, go tell the Pharaoh to let him go. But I just want you to know, he's going to say no. 
So I'm going to bring my fist down on them and I'll rescue my people with acts of judgment. And at this time, just side note, Moses is 80 and Aaron is 83. So when they go in there before the Pharaoh, they do the whole thing and make the request. And Pharaoh's like, nope, not going to happen. So Moses goes in and he has Aaron raise the staff over the river. And he says, because you won't let him go. God said he's going to turn the, the Nile, which is their source of life. Where And they had like a, a Nile god they worshipped too. But, you know, where there is water, there's life. You Absolutely, people cannot live without water. Animals cannot live without water. Um, and so God turned it into blood. And he's unimpressed. His magicians can do the same thing. He's like, eh, whatever. But what's super cool is that not just the water, God didn't just turn the water in the river into blood, which by the way, choked all the fish and was very stinky. But also like everybody that had gone down and gathered water in bowls and pitchers and whatever at their house, even that changed. And all the people had to start digging um, from the ground next to it to get water. So Pharaoh summons Moses and begs him. You know, he's like, okay, well, you know, how about next? So the next, the next one, you know, Moses shows up again. This is going to be the recurring thing. Let my people go. So because he won't, he's like, um... Okay, now we're going to call, God's going to call up all the frogs out of the, out of the Nile and they're going to be everywhere. They're going to be in your houses. They're going to be in your bed, in your pots. They're going to be everywhere. And so they do, they, they release the frogs. So after that happens, finally, like he, you know, they come back again and they, and again, this is something that the, the magicians that Pharaoh has that he they can duplicate his magicians could duplicate so again he's unimpressed he has a hard heart and they can do it so he's like what's the big deal right so third round he comes and he's like all right how about now right and they still won't release the people and so he's like okay i'm gonna strike the ground and when the dust comes up there's gonna be gnats everywhere I don't know about y'all, but like, I don't know if you've ever been out, like just even walk through a cloud of gnats somewhere, going through a park or on a hike. Annoying. I can't imagine being covered constantly with gnats. I mean, this is like, I guess they talk about death by a thousand cuts. This is annoyance by millions and millions of gnats. So finally, like they go through and they strike the ground, dust comes up, there's gnats everywhere. But this time, the magicians cannot duplicate this. And they say, this is the finger of God. So even then, they begin to acknowledge, okay, this God, this God is for real. But Pharaoh's heart is still hard. So the next time, Moses meets with them again. Let my people go, right? The whole thing. But this time... God tells him, look, or Moses tells him, here's the deal. God is going to strike you with flies 
you know, release the flies. But he said, this time, I'm going to show you that there is a distinction between my people and the people of Egypt. Because this time when the flies come, there will not be a single one in Goshen. So the rest of Egypt gets covered in flies. But if you remember, Goshen is this town kind of outside of the capital city. Um, when Joseph set, helped the Israelites settle, the, the 12, his 12 brothers settle, they settled on the outside of the capital city because they would have enough room to be sheep herders then. So they're a little bit away from there. So the flies come and, ugh, that is just terrible. Um, so, but when they, there's nothing, not one thing in the cap or in Goshen. Goshen is completely clear. So finally though, like the Pharaoh is like, okay, I'm sorry-ish, kind of a little bit, but not really. Um, so he's like, okay, tell you what, you could sacrifice here. And Moses is like, no way, that won't work. If we do that, your people like totally detest what we do. And if we do that here, your people are going to stone us. They're going to kill us. So that's not going to work. And he's like, okay, well, I guess, you know, pray for relief. And I guess I'll let you go. But like, you know, those people that are like, they say maybe, but it really means no. That's kind of the same thing. So anyways, he doesn't release them. He actually leaves it like open-ended and doesn't actually let him go. So Moses has to go back before him and he's like, look, tomorrow there is going to be a plague on your livestock. Like it's going to hit hard, but I just want you to know in Goshen, things are going to be clean and shiny. And, um, so the, the plague comes and nothing like still Pharaoh's heart is hard, still won't do anything. So I just, I don't know. That's, we're already five plagues in. So then the next one comes. So Moses goes and he didn't even speak to Pharaoh this time. This is the first time we see that Moses doesn't say, hey, let my people go. He just kind of appears before Pharaoh and lets him watch what happens. And basically God like told Moses and Aaron like, hey, get some soot from that kiln, right? From the brick kiln. And I see him just like stuff in their pockets, you know? I'm sure they didn't have pockets, but you know what I mean. He told him, get a handful of soot. And he basically told him, he said, you know, wave it up in the air. And this dust, this fine dust will go everywhere in Egypt. And it, it'll, it caused boils. And it was so bad that it says even the magicians could not stand before Moses because they were struck by these boils. And then this time it says that God actually hardened Pharaoh's heart at this time. And I almost view it as, again, that kind of thing of like getting your belly full. You know, you want to play stupid games and win stupid prizes? All right, let's play. <laughs> so he hardened Pharaoh's heart. So then the next plague. Moses appears before him again. He's like, you know, hey, let my let my people go. And God told him before this too. He's like, you know, God had Moses tell him, 
I could have struck you all dead by now. I could have killed you all. But I'm going to actually show my power and spread my fame to the world. So if you don't fix, if you don't fix your attitude, you will have hail tomorrow at this time. Right. And even then, like during this whole thing, um, like all of the, the hail comes, God, like Pharaoh calls and he's like, okay, this is the first time you see Pharaoh's attitude start to change. He says, I sinned. I was wrong. You were right. Like, please pray. And so I'll know. And, and basically Moses told him, I'll pray so that you know that there'll be relief. Cause he, Pharaoh asked him to make it quit. He said, I'll pray so that you know that the whole earth belongs to God, but also I know you and your people don't respect him. You don't fear him. But he still didn't let the people go. Even after saying, I'm right, or you were right, and I was wrong, he still didn't let them go. So, and this killed, like, all kinds of stuff. Um, But, so now, the locusts. Bring on the locusts. So, he, basically, the emmer wheat still stood which is like what we call einkorn these days. A lot of people call it einkorn or emmer wheat and the wheat. Um, but God basically has Moses bring in the locusts and they eat like everything, trees, they're in houses, they eat all the plants. I mean, anything that is standing still, these locusts come in and they come in on the east wind, just they get blown in and it's crazy. And Basically, God tells Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to submit, right? And even then, this time, even Pharaoh's officials come and they're like, dude, let him go. Can't you see we're going to die? Like basically all of our stocks are just, are all of our like food and everything is just about gone. Like we're not going to make it. But still, it's, I don't know just craziness, right? So Moses appears again before Pharaoh and he's like, let, let my people go. And he's like, you can like, cause first he was like, well, you could bring your men. If you go, you can leave and take your men. And Moses is like, no, that's not going to work. He's like, we got to have everybody. And he's like, no way. So this time he comes back and he says, let him go. And Pharaoh's like, okay, you could go, but you have to leave your animals. And Moses is like, how are we supposed to sacrifice? We have to take our animals and then we get there, like, you know, then we pick which one goes. And he's like, no way. So anyways, he goes and won't let him go. So then God puts darkness on him. He sends darkness after him. And this time Pharaoh is like, has a, he has a showdown with Moses. He's like, Moses, leave. And the day you see my face again is the day I kill you. That's pretty much what he says. I'm surmising. And Moses is like, cool. I'll never see your face again. And so darkness ascends on, on Egypt and says, people did not move for three days. It was so dark. And it was like a, a heaviness people could feel. And then that takes us into the last plague, which is what sums up or Passover the holiday of Passover comes from. So basically 
before God is going to release people from Egypt, the one thing he prophesied is that when they go, basically that they're going to be in good standing with their neighbors. They're to ask their neighbors for gold and silver materials. And the Egyptians will look upon them favorably and gladly give it. And so basically they will leave with wealth. They will leave Egypt with wealth. And by this time, people are starting to change their attitude. There's, you know, people that live amongst them that it says there's a rabble um, that leaves with, with the Israelites that are not, um, is, that are not Israelites uh, when they go. But this last plague is the plague of the firstborn. And basically with all of this stuff, when there's this whole thing at the end after the darkness is lifted, which it was, he goes and he says, you know, God basically has him tell him, I'm going to take your firstborn. And the way Passover, he said, death is going to come and, and hit, visit every house. And Moses told every Israelite, there's a whole like process, which is really cool. You should really read it in detail. It's way, way better than my short, very inept explanation. But basically they tell them, you know, there's, you're, there's a meal you're going to cook. This is how many, you know, this, a lamb per family. And you take the blood from the lamb and smear it on the doorpost. Um, there's cool stuff too. Like there's not enough people. You guys have to split it. And like, you have to eat it with like all your clothes on and your shoes on. Like, it's kind of cool. Um, the, the details. Um, but as death comes in and passes over the houses, the ones that have blood over the doorposts, death will pass over and not touch that house. But the ones that don't, death will visit that house and the firstborn from each family and livestock even will die. And it's, it, it talks about, it says basically, and there's a contrast that God sets up that says Egypt will be wailing and in Goshen, it'll be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark, which is like so like crazy. And then when you think about it in all of Egypt, everybody, um, you know, there won't be a family that doesn't know somebody that passed away. I mean, that's pretty unfathomable to think about. I think with COVID passing recently, we kind of get ideas about that, knowing people that have, um, that have gone um, is closer, but I still don't think the numbers are quite the same statistically even. So, but with this, with Passover, when this happens, Pharaoh finally, finally concedes and says, okay, and not just concedes, but he's like, get out, leave. And so they, they leave and everybody is asking, you know, they've asked their neighbors for gold and silver as they leave. Um, they pack up their bread and their breadboards. There's not even, they do it so quickly that they didn't even add the leavening to their bread. They just packed up their stuff and they started to leave. Um, side note on this next section, that's kind of really cool is it's like God knew that if the, if the Israelites, because they've been through so much already, um, and you kind of see a little peak of this with the foreman kind of turning, even though like the, the previous 
I don't know, half chapter before it says that, you know, everybody worshiped God and they were like, yes, thank you. You heard us and you're going to pull us out of all this oppression. But because they've been so beat up and they're so tired and weary, it says God didn't lead them directly to Israel for fear that if they met any trouble, they'd run back to Egypt and request to be enslaved again. I mean, almost like a battered girlfriend or or a battered spouse who who leaves, gets into trouble and is like, oh, take me back. I was sorry, even though it's not good for her um, or him. But this is kind of uh, one of those things. And so God in his mercy actually did not lead them directly out. They kind of had camped. And as they camp, there's like all this cool stuff. So please read it because I'm actually going past chapter 12 uh, right now. But it says he led them under a cloud during the day and a pillar of light at night. Um, And he took care of his people, even as they began their journey in the wilderness. Um, But somewhere in here, we see that like Pharaoh changes his mind again. He's like waffles, McGee, man. He flip flops, he flip flops all the time. So, but he changes his mind and decides to like round up a bunch of people and go chase the Israelites down. Cause now he's mad. Like he's licked his wounds for a little bit and now he's mad. But also God uses this to show his might and his power. But I also think it's kind of cool because again, the Israelites, they don't have anywhere to go. Like they can't, it almost pushes them further away so that they can't, have that bridge to go straight back. You know, it's like God mercifully in some ways cuts off all their back channels um, that they would use if they got into trouble and that would put them back into bondage. So he's actually kind of freeing them under this. But all of the people are panicked and God begins to, to move and he tells Moses, he's like, okay, so this is what's going to happen. And and all the this is millions of people. This is not like, hey, get in the car with, you know, three people and a puppy and head down the road. This is millions of people. This is not a fast moving group. And and honestly, I mean, we've seen like, you know, stampedes, at least anybody, maybe even if you've seen a movie, if you get cattle moving fast enough, it will stampede people. And these people have their cattle with them. They have all of their stuff with them. And if you get them running like that, it'll create a panic and they just, it will kill people. And yet everybody passes through the waters that God leads them to go through and nobody dies. So what's really cool is as these, as the Egyptians are bearing down on the Israelites, God has Moses step into the water and raise his arms and they pass. Just before this though, I would like to remind you, like you remember the whole thing about God saying, hey, I don't want you to go back, right? Well, as these, as the Israelites see the, the Egyptians bearing down on them, first thing they say is like, why did you take us out here into the wilderness to die? <laughs> like, it's it's laughable, but it's also our humanity. It is absolutely every one of us could probably say, yes, we've all had those moments. 
Um, and God said, tell the people to get moving, you know, and he did. And, and also, so when Moses steps into the water and raises his arms, God separates the water. He causes an east wind to blow that dries the ground. And this is everybody walked across. And then as the Egyptians begin to get closer, like their hearts are still hard. They still will not relent. And so God caused confusion to come upon them. And he says it twisted the chariot wheels so they were hard to drive. And so as they're bearing down on them, once the people are out and all of these Egyptians are in the water, God releases the water from being held back. And it sweeps these guys up and they disappear. They're never heard from again. And then there's a song of rejoicing that comes or a song of deliverance that's actually brought forth. It's recorded in Exodus 18 um, from the deliverance that God gives them. This is the first, like, they're finally like, we could stop looking over our shoulder. Like, this is, I think, the first time they're starting to really feel secure. And that kind of ends this first chapter, of this first trial. And then we move on to poor Moses. He is like, he's such a patient dude. I don't know. I feel for the guy. Anyways, um, so we'll pick up here in a bit. I'm going to try and release these kind of close so you can just go from one to the next. But we'll pick up kind of on the next chapter of his life in the wilderness. Um, I've enjoyed visiting with you all. I hope you have a great day.